The following message is part of the preaching ministry of Berlin Baptist Church in Sally, South Carolina. We pray God's richest blessings for you as you study His Word. If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, to the end of chapter 15, that's where we'll be today. Actually, the bulletin is one verse off. We finished up verse 35 last week, so we'll actually be starting verse 36. In a message I've called Partnership in the Gospel, and this is almost uh, a little ironic once we get into the Scripture today. You'll see some different things about this partnership. This passage of Scripture today actually serves as a transition between the end of Paul's first missionary journey and the beginning of what will be the second missionary journey today. So what stands out in today's passage is really Paul's methods. Uh, We know the spread of the gospel is primary. Okay, so we know there's a commitment to take the gospel to ultimately to the ends of the earth, right? That's the great commission is make disciples of all nations. That's the goal, and so that's what Paul was involved in and he specifically had been uh, taking it beyond the Jewish nation into the Gentiles because that's what God had called him to do and so what we're going to see here that's interesting today is Paul's commitment to discipleship and I know that might sound to some of you it may sound a little bit um, I don't know odd just kind of like well okay yeah, okay, the Great Commission says make disciples, so why wouldn't he be committed to discipleship? But here's the interesting piece of that. See, Paul always makes preaching the gospel a top priority, but he also concerns himself with the important and the more challenging work of contributing to the spiritual growth of these new converts. It's not enough, and please hear me when I'm, what I'm about to say. It is not enough to preach the gospel and to see people uh, be saved and then, all right, see you later, good luck. That is not the Great Commission. That is part of the Great Commission, but that in itself is not the Great Commission. The work of contributing to the spiritual growth of the new converts, this is a pattern worth following. It's the biblical call is discipleship make disciples and we're going to try to get into that a little bit more specifically today through this passage so we're going to read from chapter 15 verse 36 down through verse 5 into chapter 16 so if you'll follow along with me as I read here's what the Bible says after some days Paul said to Barnabas, Let's return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed by the brethren to the grace of the Lord. 
And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And Paul wanted this man to go with him. And he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. Father, I pray in Jesus' name that you would take your word, help us to understand what we've heard and read, and most of all, Lord, help us to obey the principles and the truth of your word so we can be good witnesses to the gospel, and so ultimately Jesus Christ will be lifted up and glorified. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Now, this is a shorter passage, especially than the one we, we looked at last week, and it comes on the heels of that part of the story, that part of the journey. And so I think it bears a little repeating of what we talked about last week. Just a, a quick summary. If you remember, last week, the balance of chapter 15, verses 1 to 35, ultimately ended in a, a meeting, the Jerusalem Council, as they called it, because there was some, some, uh, some false teaching going on. And the church in Antioch said, hey, y'all need to go to Jerusalem and talk it over here and, and figure out what to do about this because this is not right. And so there was a, a big um, debate between Paul and Barnabas and uh, the folks who were in Antioch who had come in who were um, providing this false teaching. So they went back to Jerusalem and they had a, a talk with all the apostles and elders. And so they, they came to a resolution with that situation. They sent back a letter and you can see over there in chapter 15, uh, verse 23 down to verse 29 is what was in the letter to be delivered to the churches, okay? So when you see in this passage today, later on, what Paul was doing in chapter 16, verse 4, you'll see it here in just a minute, that was what they were delivering. It says delivering the decrees that had been decided upon by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. That's what they were doing. They were spreading that word more to more of these churches. So... Here's the, the reason why this passage today is important as a transition because partnership in the gospel doesn't necessarily mean everybody's going to be best friends all the time and see everything eye to eye on every issue and there's never going to be a disagreement. But here's the important piece of this, okay? Just think in your own mind. Have you ever had a friend specifically a Christian friend that you disagree with? Now, now, I want you to think particularly about how you handled that. Because it's one thing to have a disagreement, but when you have two Christians that disagree, there's a way that that needs to be handled. And, and there's a right way and a wrong way, quite frankly. So when you think about uh, how you uh, navigate those waters of disagreement, it's important that you don't forget uh, who you belong to, 
who you represent, right? So it, even in the times of disagreement, a Christian doesn't have the luxury of just not being a Christian while they're disagreeing with somebody, and then as long as everything's agreeable, well, let's be, all right, let's be nice and Christian and act right. That's not how it works. See, a Christian can most accurately display their relationship with Christ when things aren't good. Does that make sense? Do you think it's difficult? Like right now, we're sitting in a church building during a gathering of Christians for the purpose of worship. So do you suspect that like right now in this room at this time that it's really, really challenging to act like a Christian? You're in a, you're in a safe environment. You, you're supposed to be. You're uh, among like-minded people. There's not a whole lot of uh, if any, disagreement going on. We're sitting here reading the Bible. We've sung, we've given, we've prayed. We're in fellowship together because of the Holy Spirit that binds us together. And we're, we're reading the Bible, we're studying the Bible. So the potential for disagreement, I would think, is pretty low right now. Which means the potential for conflict is pretty low right now. So that means the challenge of behaving like a Christian and demonstrating your Christian faith and love, the challenge to that is pretty low. So, so right now, in this environment, everybody looks like a good Christian, right? But let's throw some disagreement in there. Let's throw some conflict in there. Let's throw uh, two opposing opinions about the same subject, even in the context of the church now. How do we handle that? What happens to our fellowship? What happens to our conversation? How do we uh, treat one another? My hope and, and thought is that we still maintain grace and mercy and kindness. And, and, and let me just tell you on a little side note here before we get into the, the details of this, the first part of this text. I am a, it is my firm belief and conviction that there should be no subject, no conversation that exists that two Christians ought not to be able to sit down together across the table from one another and have a polite, respectful, gracious conversation even if there's still no agreement, even if there's still a disagreement at the end of the conversation, there is no circumstance in which two Christians ought not to be able to sit down and have a polite, loving, kind conversation. That's just my belief. And maybe I'm naive, maybe I'm just stupid. You know, that's certainly possible. But that's just that's what that's how I feel. Now, what could what could disrupt that? Sin, selfishness, my attitude. You know, <laughs> there's all kind of things that could cause that not to happen. But my conviction is that's how it should happen. So, with that in mind, look at how Paul and Barnabas handle 
a disagreement, a sharp disagreement, I should say. The first point of today's text from verse 36 to verse 41, the end of chapter 15, is this. Make disciples, not just converts. Make disciples, not just converts. So Paul wanted to revisit the believers in the churches they had planted. So he says that. He says, I want to, let's go back and visit the brethren in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. Let's check on them. Let's build them up. Let's participate in that discipleship work, helping with their spiritual growth. And so as soon as Paul comes up with the idea, Barnabas says, hey, I want to take John Mark with us. Uh-oh. Paul doesn't think that's a good idea. Now let's look what the text tells us because Barnabas wants to take John Mark, but in verse 38, Paul insists, kept on insisting, they shouldn't take him because he had deserted them in the early parts of that first journey. So let's take a look back real quick. Acts chapter 13, you don't have to turn there, I'm going to read a couple verses to you, but this is Acts 13, verse 5 and then verse 13. So Paul didn't want to take John Mark because he had deserted them before. So in Acts 13, 5, here's what the Bible says. When they reached Salamis, they began to proclaim the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they also had John Mark as their helper. So he was involved in the mission work. Now, just a few verses later, in Acts 13, 13, here's what we read. Paul and his companions put out to sea from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. But John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. So here's what happened. On the island of Cyprus, if you recall, when Paul left and went to the coast and sailed right out into the Mediterranean Sea, out to the island of Cyprus, he, the, the first city on the eastern border of the island, they landed there, and if you remember, the text says they went all the way from one end of the island to the other, preaching the gospel. Okay? So John Mark was with them when they got there. But by the time they got to the other end of the island, then they were going to sail north and go on to the mainland and, and continue on through the cities up there. But he didn't, John Mark didn't do that. So he was basically with them for one place, just on the island of Cyprus, and when they went north, he went back. He went back to Jerusalem. And let, so, so the bulk of the missionary journey, John Mark left and went back. He didn't continue on with them. So now you understand. Paul, well, no, I, he, he, he petered out too early. He, just, he didn't have any perseverance. He, just, he was with us for one, one little section, and then he just left. So I don't want him coming with us if he's going to just, you know, if he doesn't have any kind of endurance for the work, Right? So you can understand Paul's idea. But do you remember what Barnabas' name means? Son of encouragement, right? So maybe Barnabas, given John Mark the benefit of the doubt, and this is not spelled out in the text, I'm, just, I'm kind of speculating here. Maybe Barnabas said, you know, he's got potential. I'm not just going to drop him. Maybe I'm going to disciple him a little bit, develop him a little bit, and I'm going to give him another chance. Yeah, he left last time, but I'm going to take him, I want to take him with us because I think he can grow into a better leader, a better influencer for the gospel. So Barnabas wants to take him. Paul, look, you had your shot. We had the whole island of Cyprus. You messed it up. All right, if you want to take him, you take him, but I'm not taking him. So you see what the text says, verse 39 there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. So Barnabas took Mark with him, and he went, look where he went. 
He went right back to Cyprus. Well, Mark's already been there. So you see what Barnabas is doing? Barnabas is saying, hey, I know you left after we, was, was, we were here last time. Let's go back to a familiar setting. You've been there. You've seen what we did when we preached the gospel on this island. Let's go back. Let's, let's, go, let's give it a second try. So he goes back to Cyprus, which, by the way, is one of the places that Paul would have wanted to go because he said, let's go back to every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord. That was the plan from the get-go. Now, I want you to see something about this little disagreement because it says here very plainly in the text, it's a sharp disagreement. That's the word, sharp disagreement. Barnabas took Mark. He went to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas who was one of the two, if you remember, last week, he was one of the two guys that brought the letter from Jerusalem when they had the Jerusalem council. He's one, one of the ones who came with them. So Paul took Silas with him, and then he went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the churches. They were committed by the brethren there in uh, Antioch to the grace of the Lord. So look what happened, though. This is F.F. Uh, F. Bruce says it this way. It says, it's not Luke's policy to record such disagreements on points of principle, but the disagreement on a personal matter, which he does record here, can be read with greater understanding in the light of Paul's account in his letter to the Galatians. So that Paul talks about this when he writes the book of Galatians. But even so, the present disagreement turned out for good. Listen, look at this. Instead of one missionary pastoral expedition, there were two. So you see what happened because they disagreed? Instead of one group going city by city where they had gone, now they had two groups. So ultimately, it turned out for uh, more efficiency, more reach for the gospel, for discipling people, because Barnabas and Mark went to Cyprus so that meant Paul and Silas, they were able to go somewhere else. So they were doubling the work effort all because they originally disagreed on a point of who to take with them on the trip. So you see, even in something that looked like, oh, this isn't good, why are they disagreeing? They're supposed to be on the same team. But they used the disagreement to double the work that was done. So this is, it turned out to be a good thing. So Barnabas went to Cyprus, took Mark with him, Paul took Silas with him, and they all were committed to the grace of the Lord by the brethren in Antioch, and they went through Syria, Cilicia, strengthening the church. So basically what happened is John, Mark, and Barnabas went south, went straight down to, to the island, and Paul and Silas went this way, were kind of retracing their steps back through the mainland. Okay? So what was the point of all that? What were they going to do? Why did they feel the need to revisit all these places? To help. They wanted to help in the discipleship of all these new believers. You remember how many cities they went to? I mean, when they left, they went to Cyprus. They went from one end of the island to the other. So just the island had a bunch of cities in it. Then they sailed north up to Pamphylia, and they went north. They stopped at three different places, and they went east, and they stopped at another place and went southeast, and then south and east again. They went at least half a dozen places with stops in between, so... Think about how many new believers are all along that pathway. That's one thing that's really good with your, the maps in your Bible. Most of them will show you a particular map that shows Paul's missionary journeys and 
the track he took and all he went through and all the different places he visited and every single one of them had new believers that needed encouragement. So this is the work of discipleship. Make disciples, not just converts. And one thing we can take from that for us, look how important that was to Paul. I'm not just going to preach the gospel and leave you. And by the way, did you know that this was one of the features of every single Billy Graham crusade? Did you know that? About Billy Graham's methodology? Here's what he would... Because where did Billy Graham go? What did he do? He went to big stadiums, right? And he, he was a, a, a mass evangelist. Okay, So he spoke to masses of thousands and thousands and thousands of people in one place, right? Billy Graham can't disciple all those people. He preaches the gospel. What, that's what, that was what he did. He preached the gospel in a powerful way to thousands of people. Many people got saved because of his preaching of the gospel, right? But what happened after that? Well, I happen to know what, what, what would happen after that. Because here's what would happen when Billy Graham came to a city. Here's what, when he came to Columbia, he did the same thing. Their ministry would personally contact churches all over the area where they were going to be preaching and having their event so that when people got saved and they got their address information, you know what Billy Graham's team of people would do? They would send that information to the local churches so the local churches could follow up and disciple these new believers. See, Billy Graham knew that it was important to make disciples, not just converts. So he didn't just breeze into town and preach the gospel in his powerful way and then leave. He made a provision to see that those new converts would be followed up with and discipled and helped in their spiritual growth because it's a priority. See, that, that's what we're called to do. The local church is not just here to make converts, to preach the gospel and, and see people saved. It's to make disciples. And that's a much more challenging work. It takes more effort. Number two, this is actually, this is only a two-point message today. It's number two, develop leaders, not just disciples. So number one was make disciples, not just converts. Number two, develop leaders, not just disciples. Look at chapter 16 in verse 1. Paul's continuing on uh, through Syria, Cilicia. It says he came also to Derbe and to Lystra, and this is where he found young Timothy. You recognize that name? You ought to. There's two books of the Bible that are letters from Paul to Timothy. Ironically, the last two letters Paul would write before he died. Second Timothy is the last thing Paul wrote before he died. Very important. So Paul and Silas come back to Derby and Lystra. They find a disciple of Christ named Timothy. And so Timothy was saved under Paul's preaching. Okay? This was Paul's son in the faith, so to speak. His mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. His mother was a believer, the Bible tells us in verse 1. And also we see something else about Timothy. He had a good reputation among the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. So Paul wants to take him along 
with him himself and Silas. And so he sees something in this young man, some qualifications, so to speak, characteristics that would make Paul believe this, this brother here is going to be, he, he's got leadership potential. He's not just going to grow as a Christian. He can be developed into a leader that influences and leads other people and helps to disciple other people. And so Paul wants to take Timothy along with them, but look what he had to do first. Timothy's mother was Jewish. Timothy's father was Greek. And it says in verse 3 that Paul wanted this man to go with him. And it says, just matter of fact, it just says in verse 3, he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, this probably should kind of set off a few little flags in your mind. Well, why would he do that? Because Paul wrote an entire letter to the Galatians about you don't need obedience to the Mosaic law in order to be saved by Jesus. It's not, and we talked about that last week, it's not Jesus plus circumcision or Jesus plus anything. It's Jesus. That's the gospel. So why on earth would he do this? Well, I'll tell you. This situation is a little bit different because Timothy is not being circumcised in order that he would have full salvation. He's being circumcised so his uh, coming along on the mission will not uh, jeopardize the effects of the gospel. See, this, is, this could be a stumbling block for some other folks that they will encounter when they hear the gospel. So this is a totally different situation. Paul sees this not as um, a, a, a requirement for salvation. He sees it as, hey, we don't want anything to be a stumbling block for anybody that hears about Jesus. We don't want them to come up with an excuse that, well, he, he's got a Greek father, right? you know, he, he can't be here. This is, this, is a, this is what they would call it. If his mother was Jewish, then by law, Timothy was Jewish. But because his father was a Greek and Timothy was at this point uncircumcised, they would call him an apostate Jew, disobedient to God. So that would, you see how that would be a hindrance to the spread of the gospel. And so Paul said, you know what? The gospel message is offensive in itself. The truth of Christ and the cross is an offense to many. So we don't want to add anything to that. We want... Uh, the only thing on people's minds and hearts to consider is just the truth of Jesus. So he circumcised him. F.F. Bruce says this way, Paul set his face against any move to circumcise Gentile believers like Titus, and he mentions that in Galatians. But Timothy was in a different situation. For Paul, circumcision in itself was a matter of indifference. Only when it was regarded as a condition of acceptance with God did it involve a lapse from grace and the obligation to keep the whole law of Moses? So his point there is, if, it, if people are trying to tell you you need to do this, this, or this in order to be accepted by God, no. Paul would stand against that 100% of the time. But this was a different situation. He wanted to make sure the gospel went forth and was effective and no hindrance was added by men to what God had said. So he circumcised him, it says here, in verse 3. And then 
it's almost like that's just a, a little side note. Like it's not even the focus of the passage. Because look at verse 4. Look what happens in verse 4. They were passing through the cities, delivering the decrees from the apostles and elders in Jerusalem for them to observe. And so as they were going about visiting all the places, remember back from 1536, all the cities, every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord, let's see how they're doing, let's encourage them, let's uh, build them up in their faith. They were delivering the decrees, passing through the cities. The visit of Paul, Silas, and Timothy had very positive results for the gospel. Because look what verse 5 tells us about their visits through all these cities. The churches were being strengthened in the faith. And what else? The churches were increasing in number daily. So I want you to understand the practical effect of what Paul's methodology is in his missionary journeys. His priority is preaching the gospel and making disciples, not just seeing people get saved, but following up, helping them with their spiritual growth. So his priority is making disciples and developing leaders. And, and just to, to kind of underscore that just a little bit, I want to read you what Paul wrote to Timothy along these lines, just to show you how he's making disciples, he's developing leaders. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, li listen to what Paul says to Timothy. And remember, this is the last letter he wrote before he died. He says, You therefore, my son, my son in the faith, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things which you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So you, you see what he's doing? He's laying down a pattern of discipleship. Paul took Timothy right back here in Acts 16, took him under his wing and said, you need to come with us so you can learn how to preach the gospel and make disciples and develop leaders and see the gospel be spread to the ends of the earth. You need to come with us, work alongside us, learn from our example and be powerfully used by God. So, so Paul took Timothy, discipled him, developed him as a leader. Then the last thing he writes before he dies, he tells Timothy, hey, don't let this process die with you. He says, the things you've heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust them to faithful men. In other words, you find yourself a Timothy and you take him along with you and you pass him along because they're going to teach other people also. It's multi-generational. Do you see what he says? Entrust these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He's already talking about the second and third generations after Timothy, spiritually speaking. Paul says, I've given you some things. I've, I've taught you some things. But I don't want you to just hold on to them and keep them for yourself. I want you to take those things and pass them on to somebody else. And then you teach them how to pass it on to somebody else. And so it's a never-ending uh, stream of discipleship, disciple-makers. So, so what are we supposed to do with that? Because that's Paul's method making disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That's his uh, M.O., that's what he does. But what does he teach Timothy to do? The exact same thing. 
So what are we supposed to take from that for us individually and collectively as a church? What is our job? What is our task as Christians and as a church? We're supposed to take the gospel and give it to other people and when they get saved, we're supposed to walk with them, help them. Here's how you pray. Here's how you study the Bible. Here's why we give. Here's why we uh, attend the church and enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ. Here's why we live the way we live. It's because this is honoring to God and it is supporting the truth and the passing on of the gospel. It's not, we're not just living a certain way just because we want somebody to think we're a good person. That's not, that's not why we do this. See, we live in a way that honors God because when we do that, it gives credibility, believability to the message we're supposed to be sharing. Does that make sense? I can talk about Jesus all day long. But if I live like the devil, what do you think, what do you think people are going to believe? My words or my actions? They don't, nobody's going to care what I say if I don't live in a way that backs it up. It, then it becomes do as I say, not as I do. You ever had a parent tell you that? I used to hate that. <laughs> Why? Don't act like that. Well, you act like that all the time. Well, we're not talking about me. We're talking about you. Yeah, well, okay. That, see, that doesn't work. You see, you know, you know how that makes you feel? Well, it's the same thing when it comes to spiritual matters. You're going to tell me Jesus can make a difference in my life? What's the first question I have for you? What difference has he made in your life? And, and that might hurt your feelings when somebody asks you that. Especially if you look at yourself and you think, hmm, what difference has Jesus made in my life? But you know what? Nothing wrong with that question. Nothing wrong with that question. That, that, that's appropriate. for some. If I'm going to tell you that Jesus will change your life, then I need to understand that my life is now in view. I need to not just speak Jesus. I got to live Jesus. So the, the, what's the central purpose of a church? Why do we exist? Why, why did God put us all here at this particular place, this particular time, with this particular set of gifts, skills, abilities, and resources? The church, every church, this church, has been established and sustained by the power of God specifically and primarily for the purpose of sharing the gospels, sharing the gospel, making disciples for the glory of God. That, and, and I don't know about you, but I think we would be doing a great disservice to our families, to the community, and ultimately to God if we don't get busy fulfilling our reason for existence. It's not just something good to do. It's, it's the reason we exist in Christ is to make disciples. Share the gospel. Live it out and make disciples. That's why we're here. Let's pray.
Thank you for listening to this message from God's Word. For more information on Berlin Baptist Church, we invite you to explore our website at www.berlinchurchsc.org.